Five Great and Kate Bowden and Barry with me as always. My sidekick. No, no, really. He's not a sidekick. He's my co-host. He's my main man, <laughs> Barry Rose from uh some of Plymouth, Plymouth something. Uh what is it again? I always forget. Plymouth it what? Is Plymouth Meeting. I was gonna say Plymouth Meadows, but uh Plymouth Meeting PA, my man Barry Rose. Are you ready for another episode of Break and Kate Able Bowden and Barry? Jeff, this is going to be an action-packed episode. We have got, just looking at the agenda today, is there anything we're not covering in any form? Um, Actually, I don't think there is, because right. I think <laughs> we are covering you from head to toe in this particular yes. episode. Barry, not just one, not just two, three matches to discuss this week. What? If we are givers. We are givers, Barry. And so we are going to be looking at three matches, all of which we liked. From the recent WWE NXT Stand and Deliver that was uh, done about a week ago. And uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of Biff, Mary, or Kick to the Curb. We are going to be offering, uh, Barry always loves this, food stories. I've yay. got a su- food story to share with Barry. Uh, that was a very unenthusiastic yay, by the way, Barry. I'm just going to say. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to be tempered on it. I was trying to be tempered, but... I'm very excited, actually, for this. Thank you. We are going to be joined by a friend of the show, Nick Massey, who's going to be discussing a uh, an upcoming appearance by some somebody that maybe was recently a guest of ours, Barry, Ooh. on a Patreon episode, baby. Yes. And besides that, oh, Barry, I know you're going to love this. We're going to talk a little colonoscopy situation. Oh, yes. It's the first time we've ever discussed colonoscopies in great detail. We're going to, Barry, I know you're going to like my expressions. We're going to dig in there to the colonoscopy uh, stories. And we're anything loose, hang around. We're pulling it out. We're going to discuss it. So get ready to make yourself a probing question, Jeff. (laughs) There's going to be probing. (laughs) There's going to be the loosening of of stuff. And uh, then there's going to be the inevitable explosion. Uh, And none of this involves Ethiopian food, too. So, Barry, uh, what do you say we uh, we start off by discussing the recent NXT stand and deliver matches? So, Barry, because we are nothing if not giving, we are offering not one, not two, three matches this week. Oh, Barry, it's current matches, too. It's not something from 1952 with Baron Leone. We are going to the NXT stand and deliver. Uh, yeah, you can't call them pay-per-views anymore. Can you, Bear? I, I don't think so, but is there still the option that somebody could pay $50 to see it? Like, do they still I'm offer sure that? Vince, I'm sure Vince would, ex- you know, happily accept your $50, but I don't know if it's required. That's all I'm saying because, gotcha. uh, you know, so we had the uh, stand deliver, I believe it was in Orlando. You told me bear. It was, uh, I think it was Orlando at the performance center. They have a name for it. Now I yes. completely forget what they call it. They have, given it a completely different name, but I believe it was based out of Orlando. Yes. So I went on to the Peacock network, uh, flush with <clears throat> someone's password. I'm not going to, not going to mention any names only to discover. I apparently had subscribed previously myself. I'm nothing if not knowledgeable, Barry. So I was able to access the fine, uh, NXT stand and deliver show. And we decided rather than review two whole shows, we're just going to review uh, a few of the matches and, uh, three that, uh, I felt in their own way were kind of standouts, Barry. So, uh, let the folks know we're going to be listening or talking about the, uh, Kushida versus Pete Dunn match, uh, Walter versus Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. So why don't we start off first of all, 
with the Kushida versus Pete Dunn match. Barry, tell us what you thought of that one. Yeah, so th- this was, if I'm correct, too, this was the first match on the first night. Uh, it was, this was a two night event, which I liked. And I think that's something too, that in looking at it for WrestleMania, where I think that makes a lot more sense is that maybe you do two nights, because if you've got all these people, you know, hypothetically, all these people have either driven or flown down to Tampa to see WrestleMania, uh, they're going to buy tickets for two nights. So to me, uh, financially, that seems to make a lot more sense, but I like the fact that that these two big events were split up into two nights instead of, you know, this fucking WrestleMania, like over the last couple of years, Jeff, the pre-show starts at like four o'clock. Oh and then my the God. Yeah. It starts it's... at like five and then it ends up who the fuck needs. I can't watch seven hours. I'm out. Yeah. It is it like the movie, the old eighties movie, the never ending story bearer. I mean, like how long can a it's show crazy. go? It's just, yeah. it's just really ridiculous. So, uh, and for that respect, splitting it into two nights absolutely would be a, a, a go-to thing. I know that uh, in our group, uh, our man uh, Joe Dombrowski uh, flew down to Tampa for the uh, the show, and uh, in in amongst the raindrops and everything else, uh, he indicated that he had a really good time at WrestleMania. But getting back to the stand and deliver match with Kushida and Pete Dunn, Barry, you know what a huge fan of uh, not only Kushida but especially of Pete Dunn. Uh, I love this guy because why? He's different from everybody else, Barry. So again, tell us your thoughts on this match. Yeah, he, he's completely different. He is Pete Dunn is so fucking great on just about every level. Uh, there, you know, and again, he is different. He's not a guy that looks like anybody else. He's not a guy that wrestles like other people. Uh, he's kind of got his own style going as well, and he's a young guy. So we have both been Pete Dunn fans for a while and Kushida as well. And, you know, Kushida, uh, has come a long way in the last five years. You know, he was, uh, part of the time splitters tag team and doing that whole back to the future gimmick and all that, which I is, is unique and something that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And that's why I think I like it. But when these two guys get together, you're going to get a good match because Kushida can work. Pete Dunn, obviously, we've raved about him for years at this point. So really solid match. Uh, these guys went out. Uh, Dunn did all of his unique offense, which I love, you know, where he twists the fingers and then he twists the wrist back and then he does the stomping and shit like that. Uh, but this was a great way to open up a show. And that's what I like about the WWF uh, events. I won't call them pay-per-views either. I'll call them the big events that are broadcast on the Peacock network and that, uh, they always lead off with a hot match. You know, there's, there are times you will find in the middle where things are sagging a bit. And I get that. That's, you know, what God knows about sagging at our age, Jeff, we, uh, well, yes, exactly. But, but th- this You're is talking the, the lower you middle or the upper middle. <laughs> You know, it's all lower middle at this stage, Jeff. It's all sunken. <laughs> Gravity is is not my friend at this point, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, but th- this is how you start a pay-per-view. You put two guys that can work. And what I also liked about this match especially was the ending. Why? This was not a telegraphed ending. This was not a cheap ending. This was essentially a clear-cut win. Uh, and he, it could have gone either way. And, and Pete Dunn has done several jobs. Uh, over the last couple of months or last three or four months. And to see this, uh, you know, and I, spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you exactly who won. Uh, Pete Dunn did win to see Kushida do the job. I wasn't sure that was going to happen, but no screw job. Nothing occurred like that. This was solid booking, which just added to the match. And I, I truly enjoyed it. 
So before I tell you my thoughts on the match, let me just ask you, because you are much more of a, uh, a watcher of WWE and especially the NXT product for your money, Barry, based on what you've seen recently is the NXT United States, uh, brand or the NXT Europe brand, the better brand. Oh, tough call on that one. And an excellent question. So I like to think so every once is. in a while. So I, I, this, this will be a dual answer to the question. I do think the American version is better. I think I might even prefer the UK version. I've always, I've said it a million times. I'm a huge mark for, uh, the UK style of wrestling. I love what they do over there and I truly enjoy it. You know, the American version is positioned to be the bigger and better version though. I mean, it's, there's no way it's much like, you know, it's much like they, with everything that they do, ego is going to get in the way. And, uh, while the UK version is great, they certainly aren't giving it anywhere near the love that they give NXT. So, uh, so yeah, that's a, it's kind of a dual answer with that, but Hey, the good news, both are fucking great. You know, that's, that's where I think is where we actually win with this. And I, I do see criticism of NXT that it's not what it used to be. And maybe it's not, you know, nothing is what it used to be anymore. But at the same time, I think on a weekly basis, uh, it's still offering what I consider probably the best professional wrestling in our country. So I love it. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so my thoughts on the match, uh, as Barry said, a terrific opener, uh, something to grab the fans and immediately hook them into the product. Uh, both these guys, I love Kushida when he wrestled for New Japan, uh, the opportunities that I've had. Uh, and I will clearly admit, and I've stated before, I'm not a huge uh, follower of today's product. But when I do get a chance to watch, especially, uh, I'll be candid, I didn't watch WrestleMania. I didn't really have anything. As we said, uh, I think last week I had to ask Barry, uh, what, what was the main event of the show? Which tells you all you need to know about my interest in the product. But the NXT stuff, whenever we do get a chance to watch it, has always impressed me. Uh, it, in a way, it's you know, you wonder, is it really seen by the hierarchy as a lesser product or is it something that they really are happy they're pushing because it gives the guys a chance? Now, that being said, Barry, here's a little breaking kayfabe for you. Ooh, uh -oh. occasionally I uh -oh. do that, Barry. Uh -oh. I, I reached out to a friend of the show who shall remain nameless, but I think you'll know who it is, who may know something about the WWE uh, setup and how things work. And I asked this person, I said, I have a question for you uh, regarding the NXT and all that. And I said, I'm just generally speaking, I don't want any kind of specifics because, eh, frankly, specifics aren't our business. But what is the difference in salary of a headliner in NXT versus a headliner in the main uh, story uh, WWE? And this particular person, who we may or may not have had as a guest, not too far back said, I know that NXT has up their pay, but I still think it's half. At least guys like Orton make it way more range to probably, uh, 250 K in NXT for a main event or headliner versus 500,000 to a million plus on the raw and uh, SmackDown main eventers. So very, what'd you think about that? Pull that one out of the hat, huh? Yeah, that's and that's interesting. So you've got a guy like Finn Balor. So Finn Balor was obviously Prince Devitt in New Japan. This guy was out of this world. 
came to NXT uh, as Finn Balor, stayed in NXT for a while, was brought up to the main stage. I believe his like first match in, he won the Universal title, was injured, had to give it up, and then never really made that impact in the WWE like he did. They, they never quite gave him the chance again for whatever the reason was. So the decision was made that he was going to go back to NXT and he was going to be there full time. And it wasn't, it wasn't positioned as a, uh, as somebody that was being bumped down to NXT. It was more like a lateral move. His style of wrestling is what works best for NXT as opposed to the main stage. So I, you know, it makes me wonder is, you know, I can't see a guy like Finn Balor, regardless of, you know, and his quality of matches going back to NXT through the roof compared to what he was doing in the WWE. At the same time, I can't see him saying, okay, I'm going to give up a half million dollars per year, whatever the figure is to go back to NXT. So I think there's got to be some parody and there's probably a lot of cases that are handled individually uh, when it comes to that. But, you know, a guy like Karrion Cross, let's, let's use Karrion Cross as an example. It's only a matter of time until he's brought up to the main roster. I mean, this guy is tailor-made with Scarlett Bordeaux to be on the main roster. So, you know, they're paying him well, I'm sure. But at the same time, they've given him the promise. You know, it's six months, whatever it is, you'll be on the main roster. You'll be making a lot of money. But when you're taking guys, uh, what was it? Tyler Breeze, great example. Tyler Breeze working in the WWE for several years, and now he's back in NXT. And there's a few of these guys that are like that. I wonder if those guys are bumped down in pay because that I don't see. Well, and the reason that I asked this particular person, the question <laughs> was, I was really wondering, uh, you know, we're going to get to uh, the match with, uh, with Walter and Tommaso Ciampo in a second, but somebody that's like a headliner for NXT, you know, how much of a glass ceiling are they, are they facing? You know, sure. uh, obviously a guy like Tommaso Ciampa, who's a tremendous performer, but let's, let's be honest. He doesn't have the sort of size that Vince generally gravitates to for his main event guys. Uh, although he has a great presence, uh, everything about him is terrific, except he's not frankly, the size of somebody like Walter. Okay. But, uh, somebody, since we mentioned him, somebody like Walter, we were speculating you and I, and I was talking with Brian last about this, what sort of, uh, impact could Walter make if he was brought to the main stage? Let's just call the WWE, the main stage. If he was brought up to there and the concern of course, uh, is that, you know, Vince being Vince, he would try to do something and, and throw him with some horrible gimmick, you know, uh, as opposed to what I think is a great gimmick now, uh, with, uh, it was Imperium. Is that the name of his group? It's Imperium. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and, and Brian sort of joked and said, knowing Vince, he'd make him a French guy, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, you're French. Yeah, we'll love that. You know, uh, but we, you know, for everything that Vince has done right, uh, in promoting guys and giving guys great gimmicks, he's also had some really horrible ideas too. And you would hope someone that's as great as Walter or as great as Tommaso Ciampa or, or, you know, other guys that they would give them the proper, uh, I hate to say respect. That's a bad word, uh, in this case, but, you know, give them something that would, uh, 
promote just how good they really are. So, uh, and unfortunately, you know, when we get back to the match with, you know, the Pete Dunn situation, I don't see Pete Dunn ever being a guy that could make it up to the main stage just because his size limitation, you know, and, uh, you know, at least Tommaso Ciampa, you can see a guy that's completely shredded. He's got the whole beard thing. He's somebody that stands out where Pete Dunn is just like a smaller guy, terrific worker. Uh, you know, I even like the fact Barry, uh, seem kind of strange that you know he's got the whole scarred face yeah. and everything, and that's again it's something different. He's not the muscle guy who's got a thousand tattoos that seemingly at least five out of ten guys on the WWF main stage uh, have that. And so the fact that again that these guys are different, and if they can uh, they can live with uh, being in the NXT and being on the uh, the main event of the NXT, and they're happy with that. I, I hope they stay here as opposed to going up and getting lost in the shuffle the way that you said that, that, you know, Prince McDevitt did. And, you know, the, because he's tremendous, he was tremendous in new Japan came there, got injured, but then got kind of lost in the shuffle. And his, as you said, Barry and Barry, you were 100% correct. So, um, his style definitely fits better in NXT and working with guys that are a little bit smaller than the main, the Roman reigns kind of guys. Uh, so I, I, I like having him, uh, on the NXT platform rather than the WWE main stage. Yeah, that's a, a, a lot of good points that were you just made right there. But there, a, a guy like Pete Dunne, how would how would any of the writers book Pete Dunne on the main stage? It just, I for the life of me, I just don't see it. So I, I do wonder though, is that you know if the money is not so great, and certainly the money tied in is merchandise and shit like that. But at, at the same time. There, there's probably an enjoyment in going to work every day if you work for NXT, you know, or unlike sure. the main stage, you, you've got to be frustrated at times. Even the Absolutely. big guys, Absolutely. you know, even guys that make a shitload of money get really frustrated and leave or, you know, take sabbaticals, whatever it is. So there really is something to be said. OK, I'll take a little less money, but. At the same time, I don't hate my job. I'm I'm happy to be here. And we should clearly say everybody's making a living here. It's not, you know, the old days of NXT, it was pretty bad. You know, they, the, a lot of these people weren't making a lot of money. Uh, everybody's making some money currently. At least I like to think that they are. But uh, let's get on to the next match, Jeff. It was Well, let me just one, one last thing. Certainly. Uh, want to give the timeline. Uh, so Pete Dunn wins 10 minutes, 39 seconds. Uh, again, uh, I love. Uh, let me just ask you one last Pete Dunn question. Sure. You know, I was thinking about uh, a role that they could use a guy with the size, and more importantly, the look of a Pete Dunn. What if they, uh, in the scenario I described, they did bring Walter up to the main main stage, and they gave him a mouthpiece like Pete Dunn, and they made Imperium instead, you know, instead of more what it's like now, more of a, like a European thing, and Pete Dunn as the mouthpiece for Walter. What do you think? Would you think that would work? I think it would. So the the thing with Imperium too, I don't know if Imperium's going to work on the main stage. Uh, I don't know. It, what I would predict is if they did bring Imperium up, the other guys are essentially going to be the guys losing the matches. They're going to be the guys doing all the jobs. They're not going to get a lot of wins. Walter would get the push. But anytime somebody wants to get it, Walter, they're going to be beating up the other guys. And the other guys are going to be used as fodder in a sense. So so almost uh, in a way that, uh, not to interrupt you, I apologize. No, we would have Pete Dunn would be Michael Hayes. Walter would be Terry Gordy. 
And so the guy for Imperium, you know, whether it's one guy, two guys, whoever, would take on the buddy Jack Roberts role. Uh, they'd be the guy that, you know, would be, uh, you know, getting beat up on that, uh, you know, that Pete and Walter would come in and save the day. But using Pete essentially in the Michael Hayes role as the mouthpiece for the group. Yeah, it would make sense. Now, they, Imperium's got three other guys. One was Alexander Wolf, who was part of the faction of Sanity with Eric Young and Killian Dane that, uh, you know, they just didn't do anything. I actually liked them. They didn't do anything with them. And then it's uh, the two other guys. I completely forget what their names. And they're a good tag team, but you just know that they're not going to get the push, that it's going to all the focus would be on Walter, really the way it should be. And I don't, I don't think Walter needs a faction. I think if anything, a faction may actually hurt Walter because he's so physically dominant looking. And certainly once he gets in the ring, he's so dominant. He doesn't need other guys. He doesn't need anybody else around him. Walter should just come out, maybe give him a mouthpiece. Pete Dunn would be the perfect guy. Uh, but Walter should just come out and destroy everybody. That's what I've always thought. Yeah. And in a way, you know, that we, and I think we've discussed it here before, did Michael Hayes in some respects, uh, hold back Terry Gordy from being the the dominant single that he could have been Absolutely. as far as his skill wise. And he was certainly good enough on the mouth, a uh, mouthpiece, you know, where, uh, did he really need Michael Hayes as great? And please, I'm not saying that I didn't appreciate the Freebirds for what they were. They were fantastic, but Terry Gordy in Japan, uh, whether it was as a single or whether as, you know, as tag teams with Stan Hansen and with, uh, you know, with Dr. Death and stuff like that, he was awesome. But, you know, we never really saw Terry Gordy have that singles run that a lot of us felt like he could have. You know, think about 1986 before he blew his knee out. If Terry Gordy had gone up to New York and had a program with Hogan, you know, I mean, I mean, I think that he would have been a great opponent for Hogan. And I I think the same way. Anyway, we're, we're kind of getting off on a tangent here. Uh, so before we get too far into the tangent, why don't we get to the Walter match? Walter versus Tommaso Ciampa. Barry, tell us what you thought of that match. This was my favorite match of both nights, and it was uh, it it was fantastic. Tomasa Champa too. So again, to, there's just no way Tomasa Champa is going to come up to the main stage based off of his size. To now he's dropped weight. He literally used the word shredded a few minutes ago. He is shredded. It is. There is his body fat's got to be in single fucking digits. Like the guy is just an incredible shape. He's also dropped weight. He is much smaller than he used to be. But I think he is. I think he's actually gone on record, Jeff, saying that he never wants to leave NXT. He does not want to get called up because he knows what would happen if he does get called up. I also think Tomasa Champa is a heel is much more effective than is a baby face. Uh, in this match, didn't matter doesn't matter at all. I just think if I'm booking Tomasa Champa long term, I would be looking at him as a heel. This match was spectacular and uh these two literally beat the shit out of each other and at the end of the match you can look at the chests of both men and there's welts, there's the uh, there's handprints, there's broken blood vessels all over both their chests uh and they just they they clobbered each other. And some of these hits uh you know, I, I was sitting in my uh, in my palatial studios where we record, and I'm watching the match. I've actually watched it twice, and with some of these hits, uh, it it was loud. Like I, I had my TV at its normal <laughs> adjusted volume, and yet I was going, "Holy shit!" They were really laying them into each other. And Champ has got to take a lot of credit for this because Walter is a big guy. 
I, I don't, you know, was he 6'5", Jeff, 300 pounds? I don't know, but he's got to be close to it. Champ is not, and but Champ is one tough SOB, and uh, he took a shitload of abuse. They both did in a spectacular match. The ending was what you kind of thought the ending was going to be, but there were points throughout the match where I'm going, shit, Champa may actually take this because I've never seen Walter ever sell to that degree. I love the match, though. Fantastic. Well, let's let's talk about a couple of things. First of all, whoever was the one that booked this match and you know laid it out for the guys did a fantastic job because the whole uh, smaller guy versus a bigger guy and the amount of stuff uh, you know, that, that Tommaso Ciampa got in on Walter. Uh, you're right. It, you know, you were like, wait a minute, is he going to, is he going to freaking beat Walter? Is he going to be the guy? Yeah. And it was booked very, very well. Uh, the brutality very much flair, Ronnie Garvin esque as far as the, you know, like uh, your older guys would be a Johnny Valentine versus Wahoo, that kind of uh, brutality in the match. And it was just absolutely epic. Uh, I have said before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, Walter is the guy that they should be building not just NXT around, they should build the whole fucking company around this guy because whatever it is that they're looking for from Roman Reigns that he doesn't have, or based on what I've read that he doesn't have, Walter has. He has it. And there's not a lot of guys that have it, but Walter does. His presence walking to the ring, you know, I, I've said it before, very Johnny Valentine, very Fritz von Eric uh, inside the ring. You know, uh, again, Johnny Valentine, Wahoo, that kind of stuff where, uh, what's the old Johnny Valentine line? I, I can't make you believe that wrestling is real, but I can make you believe that I'm real. And yep. that's what you get from Walter. You, you watch him and you're like, I can't imagine, you know, the way that somebody, you know, uh, uh because of his size, maybe at ringside who doesn't like Tommaso Ciampa or just decides he wants to be that douchebag fan and get in his face and kind of yell at him. Can't imagine that guy doing that to Walter. But, you know, uh, I, I would not heckle Walter. And I love going to wrestling matches and heckling because I would be worried that that big fucker would chop me. And he's <laughs> a monster. He is a monster. And Vince loves monster heels. He, you know, Brock Lesnar, guys like that. That's what Vince loves. Going back to, good Lord, the early to mid-70s you know, with Superstar Graham and, you know, guys like that. And, and bringing in the monster heels to face Bruno and then Backlund. And, and Hogan, his whole history has been written on creating these monster heels to throw at his champion. And part of me really wants to see Walter on that stage, and part of me wants them to do nothing but keep Walter in NXT where we can appreciate him having these kind of matches against guys that can give him and, and take from him the way that Champa did in this match and, and give it back to him. You know, And you wonder whether or not the first time he goes up on the main stage. If he fucking chops somebody, if somebody, you know, on the main stage wouldn't go, what the fuck am I doing with this guy? You know, like put me in a match with somebody that barely touches me, you know, uh, you know, the way that people used to say Randy Savage, when he would drop his elbow on you, you would never even feel it. And, you know, or Bobby Eaton's leg drop. People would say they never felt the damn thing. Uh, trust me, when Walter chops you, you're going to feel it, you know, and it's part of the whole suspension of disbelief. I fucking loved this match. It was so old school and it was everything the way that Briscoe and Funk were in the seventies where uh, Funk was 
where Terry Funk was with Harley Race and guys like that, where you were sitting at ringside going, eh, maybe the other stuff is bullshit, but this this definitely looks like it's on the up and up. This is on the level, you know. And you had that little bit of suspension of disbelief. That's what made us wrestling fans, Barry. And that's what Walter does. Walter reminds me of why I became a wrestling fan. Yeah, that's I love that analogy as well because uh, that is a lot to do with it. Uh, he he's so unique and i got to say i i i want to give the wwe credit in the fact that i would think you know and again history is going to tell us otherwise that they realize by tinkering with walter in any form that you're going to be tinkering with a gimmick that's going to be making you money uh to me, it, it wouldn't make sense. And, you know, I, I go back to what they had done previously, and Goldberg was great. They they brought in Goldberg uh, at one point, and Goldberg, this is going back, obviously, but Goldberg was a guy that was brought in, uh, you know, as this monster from WCW and only lost a couple of matches, you know. And then they brought him in, he's wearing a fucking clown wig, and he's got a clown nose on. Like, the complete opposite of what you were trying to package this guy for. Uh, so it, it doesn't make any sense. I, I would think at this stage, they've realized what Walter is. Walter's not a guy that's going to come out and do comedy, but comedy's not going to sell tickets for you. You know, Walter, what he does, he kicks people's asses. Uh, that's what's going to sell uh, tickets. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me to try to change the gimmick at all. So tell me, because you watch the the main stage product far more than I do, if you're Barry Rose put on your booking cap, shout sure. out to the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller for that one. Yeah. So if you're putting on your booking cap and you bring Walter to the main stage and you've got a few months before WrestleMania, your biggest event of the year, who are you putting, who are you marrying uh, Walter with? Who are you putting him on uh, the WrestleMania stage with? I'm putting him with the world champion immediately. So my, my idea with Walter is Walter should do what they did with Finn Balor. Uh, and again, Finn Balor, 180 pounds, whatever. Walter should come out in his first match and win the title. And it doesn't matter if he wins it from a baby face or a heel, but he should be a guy that would be a tweener. He should never be a baby face, but he should be a guy that would face heels or babies and destroy everybody in their path. And they're going to bring Karrion Cross up at some point. And Karrion Cross is a guy uh, that is, he's doing a great job with his gimmick. Uh, you know, he's, I think there are certain limitations. Uh, in the ring, certainly as far as uh, doing promos and shit like that, uh, he's not super strong with. But at the same time, they're going to bring him up. And when they do, the idea, you can clearly see it, is that he's going to destroy everybody. Save that for Walter, because Walter is, as you said, he's 100% believable. This is not a guy that's muscular. This is not a guy that looks like he's pumped himself full of steroids. This is just one big motherfucker and one big badass. And it's believable. And that doesn't happen in wrestling every day. Yeah, I would book this guy to win the world title right off the bat. I, I was to, to your point, the fact that he's not a muscle head, I think absolutely makes, makes him more believable. You know, uh, I mean, it's not some, oh, here he is, some, uh, Bobby Lashley is is the is huge and stuff like doing that. Doing a great job though. No, no, and I, I'm not yeah. I'm not doing him. No, he's absolutely yeah. doing a great. But I'm saying Walter is big in the way that Bobby but Bobby Lashley, of course, has spent years and years developing that look. Whereas Walter, he he's like Terry Gordy. He looks like he just stepped off. Yeah. He stepped off the uh, the truck on the way to uh, Connecticut, 
And hey, look at me. I'm huge. You know, it's not like I haven't been, you know, busting my ass for 10 years in the gym to get this body. He's just a big guy. Uh, that happens in football. You know, they they used to call it, what was it? He got, uh, he got farm strength, you know, and, and he looks like the kind of guy that would just be a badass without having going to the gym. And I, and I like, again, and that whole not having the muscle head look, which by the way, maybe Vince views that as a negative because Vince loves the muscle head guys, but it makes him different, you know, that he's a huge guy, but not like jacked up like Bobby Lashley is, you know? And I think that's something that adds to his appeal as an attraction and as a future potential world champion. Yeah, and just to say with Bobby Lashley, too, Bobby Lashley, to me, I think is one of the great stories uh, over the last couple of decades in professional wrestling. Here was a guy that looked like a million dollars that had the personality of plain vanilla ice cream with no toppings on it. And he was they did everything that they could do with this guy in the WWE and nothing was taking place with him because, quite frankly, he was boring. Some of the the angles they put him with were just terrible. Uh, nothing worked. And I was like, man, Lashley couldn't get over uh, with a million dollars tied to him. It just wouldn't happen. And then all of a sudden they make him like this, this, you know, raging lunatic kind of, and this guy's fucking over and he's really interesting to watch all of a sudden. So, uh, I'm, I like what they're doing with him and Roman reigns very similar as well. Roman reigns for years, uh, people hated him and whether that hate was justified or not. And I, I don't, I don't think it was, but now he's playing this heel and it's an original heel with this head of the table. Uh, it's over. It, it's actually their, their two champions are two heel champions that are working. And, uh, yeah, it's nice to see a direction that WWE's taken Cesaro getting a push. Uh, you know, things are just changing a little bit. A lot of the, the, the mainstays and guys that have been looking for a shot are getting their shots finally, and they're actually doing extremely well. It's nice to see that Jeff. Okay, so Barry, the last match that we want to discuss, Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, this was pretty much the equivalent of the old no DQ, uh, no stopping for anything. What did you think of this one, Bear? Oh, so I love this match, too. First off, let me, uh, let me just backtrack. So Adam Cole is a guy that has all the tools to be a big star. And obviously in NXT for the last two to three years, he's been a massive star, but he looked a little bizarre on the, on the event. I don't know if you picked it up. I certainly did. He, uh, it looks like he stopped going to the gym or if he was taking, uh, his vitamins and supplements, he may be off of them currently, but he had the body of, uh, of like a, I guess a well-built teenager is probably the best way to look at it. He was, uh, you know, just wasn't in the shape that Adam Cole had been in previously. The other thing was he had this really weird spray tan thing going on. And the front of his body was kind of tan, though it was blotchy in certain spots, but his back was white. So uh, it, I thought that was kind of odd. Like, you know, you're presenting yourself, but it, something just looked off with that. That being said, certainly didn't affect his wrestling because I thought he was fantastic. I liked the match. There were some complaints out there, uh, and I can tell you two complaints that I heard, and then I'll tell you what I thought about those complaints. No, One was. Then. Absolutely. One was the match was overbooked. The other was it went 15 minutes too long for a, uh, a blow off match. So I, 
I uh, let me. I, I I'll address the overbooking of it first off. I don't. I don't really understand that the match was overbooked. I don't know what that means. I. I know that there are certain matches where you can see it, but this was a grud match. It was an, as you said, an anything goes, no DQ type of match. So, yeah, they're going to pull a lot of shit out, but these guys also laid it out. This wasn't like a uh, a match where they're just going to pick up objects and hit each other. They're they're brawling all over ringside. They're really just beating the crap out of each other. And to me, whatever foreign objects were brought into the match. It's secondary. It had nothing really to do with it. So I didn't see this as being overbooked. But yeah, they were trying to make a statement. This is two guys that that clearly hate each other, you know, in, in professional wrestling. Two guys that clearly hate each other. Two guys that are going to do whatever it takes to destroy the other guy. Uh, and I just don't get the overbooking. The the time thing, too, I, I don't get because I liked the match. So if I like it, how am I going to say, well, it was too long. You know, to me, it wasn't too long because I liked it. I, at, when it was over, I, I was hopeful that these two guys will actually wrestle again. Uh, and I'm sure at some point that they will. So, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I got to tell you, I thought, you know, Adam Cole has been a guy and I go back to seeing him. I go back to seeing both guys in ROH and seeing them in person. And Adam Cole, Jeff, isn't a big guy by any stretch. I'm taller than Adam Cole. Uh, we are weights, probably not even dramatically different, you know, but he's got this undeniable type of charisma. And when he gets in the ring, he makes it happen. Kyle O'Reilly is kind of a surprise because we all knew that Kyle O'Reilly had a, had a lot of talent. You know, he, he's an MMA fighter. He's been, at least been trained in MMA, can work a lot of different styles, but uh, he never really got this true singles run like the one he's getting currently. And I thought he really brought it to the table. He looks great. He performs great. Uh, and Kyle O'Reilly's a guy, too, that uh, that deserves it. You know, there's always the question about, you know, does does so-and-so deserve that they paid dues, all this other bullshit. And it's like, you know, fucking Kyle O'Reilly has laid himself out in professional wrestling for the last decade where he's been injured because he goes great guns every match and he injures himself. Uh, he is a guy that is more dedicated to his craft than 90% of other people that are in professional wrestling. So I was thrilled that he's getting a push. He looked great, uh, regardless of what the outcome in the matches, it doesn't matter. Kyle O'Reilly has a big, big future ahead as a singles guy. Uh, but no idea what happened to Bobby fish. I know Bobby fish got injured. Uh, he's been injured a lot. I, I wonder if he is either being cut back or he's going to retire, work a part-time schedule. I don't know. Uh, but you know, I, they're, they're definitely going to be pushing Kyle as a singles from now on. So let me give you my thoughts on this match. First of all, uh, I absolutely loved the buildup. You know, the whole thing where the guys are walking in the building and they've got security, making sure they keep them apart. That was really good stuff and, and very well, uh, whether it's promoted or booked. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I want to see when you're uh, supposedly in a match where uh, especially two former friends that are now, you know, just hate each other and want blood. Uh, tremendous stuff. I think you'd agree, Bear. Oh, absolutely. You're 100% correct, Jeff. Check. I don't know if we'd get that out of the way yet this episode, but now that we have, um, now that was fantastic. Uh, the finish was really good. There were lots of this match that I really liked and I really appreciated. 
now let me get to the things that I didn't like. Uh, I think if you're having some sort of huge blow off, uh, 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 two guys that want to kill each other. I just don't know. 40 minutes. It just seems like, uh, you know, if people were saying it went a couple minutes too long, I, I was thinking it went like 20 minutes too long because, you know, when you go back to stuff that you and I grew up in, and I know I hear the people now, ah, wrestling is different than it was when you were a kid. Of course, I understand that. But, you know, when you grow up on Dusty Rhodes versus Terry Funk or, or some kind of, you know, blow off to a huge feud like that, you don't expect 40 minutes. There was nothing wrong with their work. The guys were very solid. There was some great stuff. But the other thing is, and I get that there's a, a no blood edict, you know, uh, a, I couldn't believe that. I think uh, I think the one guy cut his arm, uh, Adam Cole, and I couldn't believe they showed the blood on his arm, yeah. uh, you know. But in this kind of match, you almost have some sort of expectation. You know, people talk about how for a while AEW was going too too much blood uh, for for the average uh, wrestling fan. And to me, you can use blood effectively without it being overkill the way AEW was. This was a match that I think somebody had to bleed in just just to really sell it uh, to the to the fan. Uh, I was a little disappointed that it did not happen while also understanding that that's part of their edict and it is what it is. But uh, that was my biggest complaint was nothing to do with the work of the two guys that I thought was both very strong, just that I thought for a grudge blow off match, I thought it went a little too long. Barry, what do you think about that? Uh, what do I think about that? <laughs> Go fuck yourself, Bowdrick. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> Exactly. That's what I think about that, damn it. Uh, like everybody's got their opinion on what it was. I, I look it, to me, it was, uh, it was a great match to close a show with also. And that was where I think the positioning and that's very true. Yeah. And these guys being the best of friends for years and, and aligned in ROH and then aligned in, in, you know, here as part of, uh, their group and all that, these guys know how to work together. And they also, and, and I get the overbooking where somebody might say that because they clearly wanted to go out and really impress people by laying it on the line. So, again, I, I, you, I had no problem with them going as long as they went. But uh, I'm not somebody, you know, strangely enough, I'm not somebody that I think uh, tries to overanalyze professional wrestling at times because uh, it, it, it'll drive you crazy. First off, if you try to overanalyze the work sport that, you know, is, is just it's entertainment. Uh, but I, well, they, for, let me let me just since you said that, sure. do you think in a way uh, you're right, it's a work sport, but. Is there a comparison between someone who tries to analyze and maybe even overanalyze uh, what's happened in a work wrestling match to somebody that, say, tries to analyze something that happens in a movie? Hmm. Well, it, see, that's that. I don't know if that's different or the same. I'll let you judge. I, I don't most movie, most critics of anything, and I don't consider us critics uh, at all, but most critics to me uh, are pompous, they're arrogant, and they, they, they pretend to know the answers. And, you know, again, as I'm describing this match and when I'm talking about it, I'm telling you what I liked. And, and I'm not a, am I a critic? I don't know. I mean, that, that's up for somebody else to decide, but that's not the way that I want to present it. So it's not, I, I want to look at it that I'm going to tell you what I like and 
why I think it worked or didn't work, but that doesn't make my answer correct. And unfortunately, most critics, especially when it comes to movies, think that they've got all the fucking answers and all the solutions to to what what actually should work and wouldn't work. And I, I find that so completely bogus on so many levels. Uh, did that answer your question, Jeff? Or yeah, no, no. no. I, I mean, it's right. fair because I think ultimately if you are analyzing, and I'm just using your phrase there, sure. if you're analyzing a wrestling match and what's right or uh, in your eyes wrong about the match, let's just take mine, for example. If I sit there and tell you that I like this match, but I just, for my own personal taste, thought it was a little bit long for this type of match with these stipulations, it's like saying, oh, uh, you know, I really liked uh, whatever movie, uh, uh, The Road Warrior, but uh, it was uh, a little too short or it was a little too long. I mean, is there any difference in, in saying that? Uh, I think that there is actually. And I, I, I think partly because we're looking at things as, as fans. Now, if, if, if you love the movie The Road War. You love Mad Max. If, if there was a director's cut that added an additional 45 minutes to. Fuck yeah, I, I'm on it. <laughs> there you go. You know why, Jeff? Because you're a fan. You're not a critic. And that's the big difference with it, where a critic would say, oh, no, it, it disrupted the flow of the plot yeah, and, sure. and, and all this other fucking bullshit. You know, that's yeah. my thought on it. Well, you're, you're the one that's looking for the uh, what is it? The uh, the once upon a time in Hollywood, the, the, the goddamn right. We both just saw that the other day on uh, on Google or something like that. It'll go, oh, Barry's going to be down for this. There's no question. Oh, yes, that. he is. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, three matches that I, I think safe to say we uh, enjoyed all three. Uh, my personal favorite was the Walter versus uh, Tommaso Ciampa match. But let's be honest, none of these three matches was the old stinkeroo. All three of them were enjoyable for, for different reasons. Fair to say, Bear? Yeah, and they're, they're, I think these were probably the three best matches uh, on, on both nights combined, yes. Barry, we are very happy to be joined by official friend of the show, Nick Massey. Nick, of course, doing all the uh, the virtual signings and the in-person signings uh, in the Albany, New York area. Nick, how you doing, my man? As Irene Cara once sang, what a feeling it is to be back with uh, you two guys in the Breaking Cafe podcast. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, boys. As long as you don't ask Barry to do a flash dance, because quite frankly, I don't know if anyone's ready for that, but... We understand. First of all, we want to thank you for uh, helping us get a nice appearance on our very first Patreon episode with the Hands of Stone, the man, the original one-man gang, Ronnie Garvin, former NWA world champion. We certainly do appreciate that. And I know, before we get started talking to you, that Ronnie has an appearance coming up with you uh, this very weekend as this show drops. Yes, uh, Ronnie, as you guys know, and as everyone knows, that you know, sign up for the Patreon because as everyone knows, there are a few better interviews in professional wrestling than Ronnie Garvin. His memory is top-notch. His honesty is there. Uh, and he's been and done everything in the wrestling business. Um, but, yeah, we've got a couple of signings coming up this weekend. So uh, both of them are going to be on Saturday, April 24th, and will be at the Wrestling Universe. So that's going to be a public signing. The Wrestling Universe in Queens, New York, we're going to be signing from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And that's going to be uh, a lot of the local fans in the New York area. But for everyone that can't make it, the big signing is going to be that night. And that's going to be on the Captain's Corner Facebook page. Uh, we're going to do a Captain's Corner Happy Hour, which is uh, the name of my virtual signings with Ronnie. And we're going to have all kinds of photos. I've got some programs from his time in Georgia Championship Wrestling, from ICW. Of course, I've got some WWF programs, all kinds of cool merchandise that we're going to be auctioning off. That's going to be available for quick claim. And Ronnie's there, too, to answer questions. So, 
I, I did one with uh, Manny Fernandez and Tataka recently. We have so much fun on these. It's a great way for fans to you know, get direct answers uh, from the legends on questions that they've been waiting to ask for years. And, you know, pick up some cool merchandise, too. Yeah, so with these virtual signings you've been doing, Nick, you've been very successful with them. Uh, we certainly put you over all the time. But there are so many either bad promoters, greedy promoters, or <laughs> scumbag promoters. No, and, not in the wrestling. Oh, oh who, would have, who would have ever thought? And Nick Massey is the one guy that is straight. And I, I would stake my reputation, whatever that's worth, Jeff, but I would stake my reputation uh, that Nick Massey is, uh, is as straight as an arrow. When you deal with Nick Massey, he tells you something, uh, he delivers. And if there's an error in any form, he also makes it right. This is one of the truly honest wrestling promoters out there that really there, there's probably you can count on one hand the amount that are out there. Uh, who else do you have coming up? We, I know that you have one of Jeff's favorite wrestlers of all time, Ted DiBiase, is coming up soon. Isn't that correct? Sure. Absolutely. So with Ted, we'll be doing, uh, that'll be Saturday, May 22nd. Uh, we're going to do both the virtual signings uh, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. That's going to be also on the Captain's Corner Facebook feed. And I'm not just getting uh, WWF items. I'm going to have lots of cool items from Mid-South. Lots of cool items from Georgia Championship Wrestling. I actually just got an old-school uh, Amarillo poster when Ted first broke in. Nice. I got some really cool stuff that we were putting up for auction. Uh, and then we're going to do a public signing right after that. That's going to be at Heroes Hideout in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Uh, Heroes Hideout just opened up a store in Holyoke uh, last fall. So, uh, yeah, we'll be with Ted uh, 10, to, 10 to 12 on the virtual setting. And then uh, public signing is going to be 12 to 2. So everyone in the New England area or New York area stop by. Ted, Ted's got such a great signature. He's got so many stories to tell, and I'm going to have a lot of fun. It's my first time working with him, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. So let me ask you a question with the, uh, yeah, as we begin in this country to reopen gradually, uh, what with the COVID situation, uh, how do you find, like when you, you said you recently did one with Manny Fernandez, Tatanka, uh, how did you find the crowd? Are there limitations on how many people can come or are they pretty much opening it for everybody or what? So, uh, my main stopping grounds is I call my home away from home is, uh, the Albany area. So I do a lot of business, uh, at the colony center mall, uh, with the heroes hideout, which is a, fantastic uh comic book comic book card store they have a great wrestling figure section too and a shout out to steve who allows me to bring in all kinds of talent there i've been working with him for about three years uh we started doing business again up there last august and you know uh, we still follow the social distancing rules where you know not everyone's allowed to come in the store uh you know if some talent are open for taking pictures without masks some talent or not it's up to talent discretion but we do follow the social distancing rules with everyone, but we're creating an environment that's still allowing everyone to still feel like they're able to meet talent at the, the meet and greets, as opposed to, you know, maybe taking a cold picture where, uh, you know, with, uh, I've, I've seen pictures taken of meet and greets where there's a, the plastic, the plastic in between the talent, yeah. the talent's still not standing up next to the, the fans. So I, I try to avoid that when I can, but we do it in a safe environment to where you know, no one feels threatened by, by any, for any whole reason. And that's, I think that's a really, really good, you know, especially during this era right now is that, uh, the fan wants to feel like they're getting their money's worth. So the plastic divider is a little, you know, it's almost a Roy Lucier kind of thing. Roy, who, uh, famously <laughs> takes photos through like chain link fences with talent, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've <laughs> ever seen that. Yeah, that I love that. So you have worked. I think the beauty of it is, especially during the uh, the last year during the pandemic with the virtual signings, you have worked with. I mean, 
a who's who with professional wrestling, but you've been doing this now for the last few years, five, six, seven, eight years. I forget what the time frame is. Give us a story. I know Jeff may have a story that he's looking for as well, but give us a story uh, of maybe one of your favorite stories of working with talent, but obviously a story that you can share on air. Sure. So I've been fortunate in that I've worked with a lot of talent, uh, you know, over, like you said, the last five, six years. And uh, I, at this point, I probably work with 200 individual talents. So there's a bunch of stories that, you know, I, I, like we talked about earlier, that I, I would be able to tell on my own Patreon down the line uh, when I'm out of the business. But uh, one fun story I could tell you is, uh, shout out to Ken Patera. Uh, I, I have a, a buddy, Pete. We call him Cabana Boy Petey. Uh, he's, uh, he's occasionally my sidekick for the virtual signings. And he did me a favor. When, uh, last fall, I had Ken Patera and Sam Houston in, uh, in for a weekend. I had, I, we did a public signing with Sam and Ken, and then Ken had to go to the airport, and I had to bring Sam to the virtual signing. So I asked my buddy, Cabana Boy Petey, if he could uh, bring Ken to the airport. So he brings Ken to the airport, and Ken asked him if he could stop along the way. So uh, he did, so Ken gets out, and you know they both go into the grocery store, and they both pick up their items. So Ken picks up, uh, you know, a tall boy of beer. So they get back in the car and Cabana Boy Pete is about to turn on the car and uh, he sees Ken about to open up his beer in the car as they're going to drive in the car. And uh, Cabana Boy Pete is like, what do you think you're doing? And Ken's like, pardon my Kempatera, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? I'm going to open up this beer. And Cabana Boy Pete goes, not in my car. Kempatera gave him this look as if Cabana Boy Petey had four heads on him, because I think it was the first time that Ken Patera had ever been told no by someone in his entire life. So they actually drove a few blocks up, and Petey parked the car, and he allowed Ken to drink his entire beer in the car while they weren't moving. So uh, that's, my, that's the story that's popping up in my mind, just because uh, I've worked with Ken Patera over the last year a few times, and... Uh, He's a ball of laughs, as we all know. I know uh, you guys have had him on the podcast, too. So that's, that's my favorite recent story. Just uh, for the first time in his life, someone actually told Ken Patera no, and, and he didn't even know how to take it. But uh, he wound up uh, drinking, drinking the beer anyway, just in a, in a parked car environment. <laughs> so is there anybody that uh, you've sort of wanted to have for one of these uh, signings, whether it's uh, in person or virtual, uh, that you uh, are still hoping to in the future to get that you haven't had on yet? Oh God. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, the closest guest that I've wanted to have on that, uh, you know, for, for, for a handful of reasons, uh, you know, it hasn't worked out over the last six, seven months is Ricky Steamboat. Uh, so Ricky Steamboat is very high on my walk list. And I had two different weekends where I had dates all set up. And, uh, one time Ricky w- had to cancel on me and the other time uh, it just wasn't going to work out for another reason. So Ricky Steamboat is the first name that comes to mind. Uh, down the line, I, I really, I really see this virtual, the virtual signing world is, uh, you know, I think a lot of the big talents, I'm going to try to have them on it at all points. You know, I'm love to have guys like Sergeant Slaughter, Lex Luger that I've worked with before, you know, Jim Duggan, guys like that. But, uh, Ricky Steamboat is, is my number one current one, especially since I was so close on a couple of different occasions. So I think by October, you'll be able to see a Ricky Steamboat virtual signing though. And then hopefully we can get, uh, Ricky on the Brick and Cafe podcast too. That'd be great to promote the signing and then, you know, uh, shoot the breeze with you guys. Cause we know I, I was fortunate to be, uh, in Lutz, Florida in 2019 when you guys had Ricky. Metropolitan uh, you know, Lutz, Lutz, Florida. 
how can I forget Booker, man? Uh, but Ricky was such a good headliner. I know he's going to have so much fun when uh, he's on the virtual, in the virtual environment. And I can't wait for him. I'm a huge Ricky, Ricky Steamboat fan, one of my favorites of all time. Gotcha. And, and Nick, as we start to wrap up too, so I have a question I wanted to ask you, and then I, I definitely want you to be able to uh, let everybody know where they can meet Ronnie Garvin again. So that of all the guys you've worked with, and as you just said, you've worked with, you know, a couple hundred talents over the last few years, who would you say, and I, I I'm, I'm going to flip this. Who would you say might've been the easiest person to work with, or maybe the most affable? Okay. That, and that's a very good question. Thank you, Barry. Uh, so and I'm going to, he, he's been one of my favorite, I'm going to give you two names, two of my favorite guests. And it's hard to really, I'll give you three. Here I have three names that <laughs> I've, I've worked with on at least two occasions. And they've always been a pleasure to work with. Great to do business with. The first is someone I've had on very recently. And you guys had on very recently, Jumping Jim Brunzel. Yes. Every time I work with Jim Brunzel, I always want to work with him again not only because of for business purposes, but just because of how, how nice, easygoing and, you know, and personable he is. He's, he's such a good storyteller. He's got such a good memory that your Brazil is one of those guys that when you're around him, you want to, you want to be around him again. So I, I actually made 10 to plans to work again with the killer bees uh, this fall. So uh, I, I can't wait to work with Jim Brazil again. Another two that I would put on there, Del Wilkes, the Patriot. A uh, shout out to Dell. Dell is one of uh, a true gentleman. Uh, he's he's someone else that you know. Every time I work with, I try to think of w- another way I'd be able to bring up Dell for a weekend. I love talking to Dell about college football. You know, he's uh, he's in the Gamecock Hall of Fame. He was uh, you know uh, All American at the University of South Carolina. Played uh, under so former New old- York Giant great Joe Morrison, I recall. There you go. There you go, Jeff. So I know my college football, you know- Mister. There you go, brother. So yeah, Jeff is some um, Jeff. Jeff is someone, but Dell is also someone that I always have a great time with, and uh, he uh, he had a great career in Japan, of course, uh, in the states. And, that, and then the third name that I always have a special place in my heart. He was actually the first talent that I worked with is uh, Shane Douglas. So mm. Shane Douglas, I was the first talent that I ever worked with, and uh, the experience. I'm not going to go into the details of uh, how I was able to to. to get a contact with Shane, but the person I went through was not the most honest middleman. And I wound up then talking to Shane. We kind of got to the bottom of some things and I've been working direct with Shane since then. I probably worked with Shane five or six different times. And he is someone else like Jim Brazil, like Del Wilkes, that every time I work with them, uh, they're, they're great to talk wrestling with. They're great to talk life with. And they're just people that you want to have around and do business with again. And all three of those guys had great careers. So when I put them I've had Jim in the virtual setting. I've had Dell in the virtual setting. So uh, the franchise, Shane Douglas, triple threat, you know, uh, former UWF television champion. However, you know, Shane Douglas, he's someone that I definitely want to have on the virtual for a virtual signing in the near future. So, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, this has been, you know, it's we, we love the fact that you make the, your talent available to us. Hopefully we do you proud when we do our interviews. Our interview styles are a little different than the average wrestling interview. But please tell all of our listeners again where they can see Ronnie Garvin this upcoming Saturday, April the 24th. So you can go over to the Facebook. Now, the virtual signing, you can go right over to facebook you can search captain's corner and uh if you're in the wrestling community that should be your first place to click but we'll be doing the virtual signing from 7 p.m eastern time 
You've got photos, cards, magazine programs, lots of cool stuff. I actually have a, a limited print created by Mark James, too, from uh, a fall of 1988 match that Ronnie had uh, against Jerry Lawler in the Mid-South Coliseum. So it's a really cool piece. I've only got a handful of them available to claim, but uh, these will sell out. But really cool pieces to get framed, to get signed by Ronnie, eventually to get signed by Jerry. And then people will be able to ask any questions that they have for Ronnie. And then our public signing is earlier that day. That's at the Wrestling Universe in Flushing, New York. Uh, We're going to be there from 12 to 2 alongside uh, NWO Sting Jeff Farmer and the one and only and former guest. Cowboy Scott Casey, so we'll be promoting uh, one last ride, the tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. Well, I only hope that for those of you that whether you join them virtually or whether you join them live and in person, that you will let Nick know that you uh, heard about it uh, right here on the old Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry podcast. And of course, you know, Barry, as we're saying goodbye to Nick, I'm just sitting here thinking of one thing. You know, when we talk to Nick about who his ultimate guest would be, whether it's virtually in person, do you know what I'm thinking his ultimate guest would be? I do. I, I think it would be your ultimate guest as well, Jeff, on our podcast. No, that's not. That's a good That's a good answer, but not All the right. one I was thinking of. I think Nick's ultimate guest, live and in person, Bowdrin and Barry. Wow, what do you think, Barry? Wow. I think we could sell tickets because we mean money. The, filter, the filthy lucre, Nick, we could bring it in. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I, if I have the bank account for you two, to be honest. <laughs> We would command top dollars. That's all Coming I can say. Coming to flushing. Yes. Here we come. <laughs> hey, my friggin' trans, Massey. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Nick, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Barry, I told you uh, last week, I believe, about the experience that Kim and I had had at uh, Longhorn uh, with the uh, the steak that had not been cooked uh, properly. Do you recall that conversation? Oh, my. I still, Jeff, that's all I'm thinking about in the last week. So, yes, yeah. Well, cool. okay. You need to start thinking about some other stuff. I got to be real honest with you. But anyway, so maybe walk Ozzy around the neighborhood. and. Uh, you know. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, oh, so yeah. I happen to be going to therapy, uh, still doing therapy for the old rotator cuff. And I was mentioning this, uh, the story to my therapist. Shout out to my friend, Amy Leak. And I said, so I'm curious what would you and your husband do in a situation like this? Because, you know, quite frankly, there are some people that would just be like, oh, I don't want to make a big fuss out of it, uh, you know, and they'll let it slide. Then you've got the ones that want to make a huge stink out of it. And I said, where are you and your husband uh, in this scenario? And she said, well, you know, she goes, I can tell you something that happened to us a while back. They had gone to, Barry, you a fan of Bonefish Grill? Oh, huge fan of Bonefish Grill. So, Absolutely. They had gone to a bonefish grill and her husband had ordered, I don't know if it was like maybe chicken or fish, but uh, where it was going to be grilled. And for some reason, when they got the item and her husband bit into it, he got a little something extra as apparently part of the grill may have stuck to either the fish or the chicken. And so when he he went and and bit into it, he got a little portion of, of the grill in his mouth. And so it was kind of like, uh, uh, <laughs> we need to bring this to someone's dent and call the manager over. And of course the manager fell all over herself, apologizing for the situation, as I'm sure you can uh, see that she would have, uh, immediately comped their meal. 
And, you know, and she said, my husband and I are like, look, we're not trying to make a huge fuss. You know, we're not trying to scam anybody, but we want this, uh, you know, we want this alerted, you know, to you and, and, and brought to your attention. And she said, look, the next time you come in, I want you to ask for me. Uh, and she said, you know, my husband and I both really like bonefish grill. And they went back in. The second meal was uh, was comped again. Plus, I think they may have gotten um, some gift cards from the from the manager. So my point is, Barry, here again, you had a manager that took care of the situation and made the customer happy. Yeah, and that's so important, too. And I got to say, I have had so I've eaten a bonefish grill, I don't know, 50 to 100 times. And I actually had two instances, one I shared with you, but this other one I didn't. And I'll start off with that one. Four or five years ago, uh, I ordered some sort of oyster appetizer, and I think it was like an oyster's Rockefeller, so they're baked with stuff on top, and I bit into the oyster, and lo and behold, there was a small pearl in the oyster. So, uh, you know- Pearls before swine, if you will, Bear. Well, interesting. (laughs) There was bacon in the oyster, so (laughs) yes- Pearls before swine. So I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to make a big deal about it because quite frankly, these oysters were fucking through the roof. They were so good. Uh, but I called over the manager and I said, you may just want to check, you know, and so he basically at that point gave me a full tutorial on how pearls are created. Uh, and that unfortunately you do find these small pearls occasionally in oysters. They're really not worth anything. We, I got to keep it, you know, which was it. Uh, and then he comped out the oysters, which was great. So I just thought that was kind of cool, but I had an experience and I believe I did share this and bonefish, uh, my wife and I went to bonefish. We sat up at the bar. We both ordered entrees. Mine came out. Hers did not come out. And when it finally came out, it was wrong. So she didn't eat, uh, because it was wrong. She said, I I don't want to have to wait for it. And, uh, the manager, uh, actually the manager never got involved. It was just the server. And we've discussed that before, Jeff, how yeah. always get a manager involved. It's just, it's, it's to the protection of the server. Uh, always get a manager involved. So as it turns out, uh, I paid for my meal, my wife, well, we didn't pay for her meal and I left and I had to stop and get her something to eat on the way home, which is odd. You're coming from bonefish. So I got home and I was like, I'm going to write an email to the manager but it's not going to be, I'm not going to take the tone of, you know, somebody who's angry, whatever. I'm just going to let him know. And I, uh, I basically said, I don't want anything for free. I just wanted you to know, maybe it's a teaching, a coaching experience. Uh, you know, I definitely don't want to make a big deal about it. This was on a Saturday. I think I crafted the email around seven or seven thirty Saturday night by eight o'clock. I already had a reply. We're talking 30 fucking minutes later. I had a reply from the manager saying, this, this does not meet our standards. I want to invite you back in. How many members of your party? And, you know, and I said, well, I got two kids. And he said, please, you all come back in, ask for me, uh, and uh, I'll be more than happy to ensure that your experience is going to be perfect. Now, he never said, I'm going to pick up the check during that conversation. And that was fine. And we got there. I let them know uh, that I was supposed to ask for the manager. I have no idea what his name was. Within 90 seconds, he's out of the kitchen. He's apologizing and saying, whatever your check comes out to be, it's all on me. I want you to have a great experience tonight. And as we've talked about, it's not about the fuck up, Jeff. It's about the recovery. Because every look, I fuck up on a daily basis multiple times. 
it's all about the recovery of a fuck up. But I wanted to share with you a dining experience that I had last night that might have been as perfect a dining experience as humanly possible. And I was so happy at the end of the meal for a variety of reasons that I, I actually did call the manager to let him know, but I was doing it more because I think I was so happy with the server. So my daughter has been begging me for the last, I don't know, two months to go to a restaurant in Allentown uh, where Billy Joel. Uh, yes, we're living here in Allentown. Yeah, that's so. it. That's what, actually one of my favorite Billy Joel songs actually right there. But uh, so it's Allentown's about 45 to 60 minutes away. It's not an area that I frequent to go dining in, but there's a restaurant called BJ's Brew House and uh, and restaurant or something like that. And interesting. Is that the chain? Know, yes, it is. Do okay. You know what, just, do you know what the next door neighbor to BJ's was? I have no idea and don't want to hazard a guess. It was Dick's. <laughs> well, I'm again, not making that up. I well, because your 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 sainted daughter was with you. I did not want to go low. I wanted no, to go and I didn't say a word, but as I'm looking, I'm going, that's the biggest dicks I've ever seen. And it's right next to a fucking restaurant. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, anyways, it is a chain. And I had never been to one. And they are known for uh for two things. One is pizza. I can guarantee I wasn't going to get a pizza at, at BJ's brew house, but the other is something called a pizookie and a pizookie. I don't know. I think it's a cross between a pie and a cookie is what the, maybe how it got the name, but it's essentially, it's a cookie baked into a small tin and then topped with different toppings. And they've got like 10 different types. So we got a salted caramel pizzuki with like ice cream and white chocolate pieces. And my daughter got the Oreo, but this, this was what made the experience. I thought that was good, but it wasn't everything. So when we walked in, we, it was first off, the place was packed. Every restaurant in the complex, there was a bonefish. There's an outback. There's a smash burger. There's two independent restaurants. They were all packed. And this is a Thursday night at about 6.30 at night. So first off, I felt great. Wow, the restaurant industry is booming again, at least in this area. Uh, there was a 30 to 40-minute wait. How long do you think we waited for a table? Exactly 40 minutes. So I was at least happy that they didn't exceed, that the quote of time was on the money. We sat down, and within 30 seconds, and this is a busy restaurant, the server came over, introduced herself. Her name was Nicole. And proceeded to be friendly, professional, and efficient. She was everything I've ever wanted in a server. I asked her questions, and I'm like, do I get this, or I dig, do I get this? And she goes, and I thought this was fantastic. If you're looking for something healthy, maybe go in this direction. Well, it was a chicken dish and a burger. And I said, I'm not looking for healthy. I'm looking for flavor. I'm looking for something. She said, the burger is your friend. And, and this is what I love. She said, she said, the guy working the burger station tonight is he's money. This is the, I would, I'm going to order a burger for dinner because his burgers are the best. I was so sold when she did that. That was just like, that was the perfect thing to say to me. The whole experience, the food was very good. My burger really was really good. Zoe got a Parmesan crusted chicken breast and a lemon thyme sauce or something similar to it. Uh, everything worked, but I was so taken with the server who was 
again, friendly, efficient, and just personable without being over the top. And that's sometimes that's a really hard thing to massage right there because you get some of these people that are just fucking through the roof where you're like, please go away. You know what I mean? Like, please. Would, would you also include <laughs> if it's a perfect, perfect uh, service? Was she a little flirty, maybe? No. So, so this is the other aspect of it. And I don't know, you know, this makes me think to myself, she was not flirty with me and she was not, she didn't fall into my wheelhouse of attractiveness. Mm. Uh, so it, it wasn't like, I wasn't sure that you had a wheelhouse. Uh, we'll have to, we'll have to, invest- wheelhouse of attractiveness. We'll have to investigate that on in a future episode. Oh, that's that's a Patreon episode that can go for hours on that one. So absolutely. No, but she wasn't somebody that I was, uh, you know, that I, and I don't look, I don't think she was attracted to me. She was just really fucking good at her job. And I, you know, the food service industry, especially servers, that's a fucking thankless job. It's cash money at the end of the day. And that's it. People treat you like shit. Your managers might treat you like shit. The cooks hate you. It is a thankless job to be a server, and you've got to have a thick skin. And then you get somebody that is just friendly, personable, and doesn't appear to hate her job and actually does everything, at least in my eyes, 100% correctly. So I called the restaurant today. I spoke to the manager, and I said, I just wanted to tell you I had a really good dinner last night. The food was very good. I got to tell you, your burger was fantastic. And then, of course, I threw in the guy working the burger station did a great job. But I said, you know, my server was Nicole. And I got to tell you, I was in the restaurant business for more years than I want to admit to. And I must have hired and, uh, you know, hundreds of people. And I said, you know, if I was still in the restaurant business, I would have broken every rule and tried to poach her and steal her from you because she was that good. And he said, you know, I'm really happy to hear that he goes you you understand being in the restaurant business we hear the negative a hundred times and we hear the positive once based off of that hundred and it's the truth you never hear it and he said i'm so happy i'm going to uh they they do some sort of commendation there where they give them i guess it's not an award but it's almost like a certificate and it basically says you have exceeded expectations for guest service. And then at the end of the month, I think corporate does some sort of deal with all the names and chooses a winner. And he said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give her one of these. I'm going to submit her. And I'm really, really happy you called me. And I hung up the phone and I was like, that's the way all of this is supposed to be. That is 100 percent the way it's all supposed to be. So I was so happy with it, you know, and and. The last thing I wanted to do was to drive to Allentown for dinner, too. I clearly got to say, you know, if I didn't love my daughter and she wasn't so excited about the Pizuki, I wouldn't have driven to Allentown and then waited 40 minutes for a table as I looked in PetSmart at, you know, at animals for adoption. But uh, really, really great experience. And I'm so happy that, you know, I think we share certainly we share our negative experiences and as everybody does. That's the nature of the beast. Now, when you get something so great like this, uh, I think it's, it's, you know, you should get the word out, but apparently Jeff, I had never been to one. They're, they're national, they're nationwide. Yeah, no, there was, there was one in South Florida, right down the road from where, uh, Kim and I had lived, uh, uh, many years ago. Uh, I wanted to point out real quick. You talked about going to the pet store, Barry, did you notice recently, uh, I posted the photo of Gunny's new shirt that we got at the pet store, the David Bowie shirt that he, uh, he proudly wears around, uh, 
Uh, Gunny, a big David Bowie fan. I just wanted to point that out. So, uh, going on to uh, you, you were talking about your uh, your experience with the uh, the the stellar service that you received. So, here's part two of my uh, therapist uh, food story. Uh, so, Amy tells me about a different side of the coin that she and her family had gone down to lovely Destin, Florida, in the Panhandle. Ever been to Destin, uh, Bear? I was there once. Do you know Destin, Jeff? Uh, do you know the trivia of what Destin is known for? Uh, my brother living there? Uh, yes, it is. It's number one is that your brother lives there uh, and has a Labradoodle. Am I correct? Uh, no. He. Uh, what does he have? He's got like a little foo-foo dog. Oh, I thought he had a Labradoodle. No. No, no. Smaller dog, like a Benji dog. Okay. Uh, Destin is known for being the hammerhead shark capital of the U.S. Really? Really? That's interesting. God bless you. Uh, so, so anyway, so Amy said that she and her family had gone down to Destin and they went to a restaurant. She said it was like rum runners, something like that. And she had a friend with her and the friend orders like uh, either blackened fish or blackened chicken. And as I told you, when I originally told you the story, I believe the whole concept of the blackened is for the outside to be blackened, whereas the inside is nice and fresh and, and, and tasty and such. Uh, correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. So her friend gets the chicken brought to her or, or the, it could be fish. I'm not sure which. And as she goes to uh, poke at it with her, her fork or her knife, she notices not only is the outside blackened, oh, the inside is also blackened. So she calls the server over, a young kid, 19, 20, 21 years old. And, of course, as you mentioned, Destin, huge tourist destination. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, up in the, uh, as they call it, the uh, the lower Alabama area. That's what some people call the panhandle. And uh, But it's on the water, the Gulf of Mexico and stuff like that. So it's very touristy. So she brings the waiter over and she calls to attention the fact that her chicken or fish, whatever it is, has been prepared uh, not to the way that she wanted it. So immediately here, now you've talked about the good service that you received in Allentown. I talked about the good service that I had received uh, at the Longhorn. She, uh, Amy's story about going to Bonefish Grill and having the situation that was a negative turned into a positive by the manager. Now here is the wrong way to handle the situation. She says immediately the server gets defensive on her and says, well, uh, you know, that's what you ordered. Does not call the manager over. Again, a key point that you and I have mentioned now a few times so that people listening to this fine uh, Peabody and Sherman award-winning podcast should know when there's a problem, get the manager involved. So the server becomes defensive, offers them absolutely no uh, relief uh, in form of, oh, let me have another one prepared for you. Uh, uh, let me give you know my manager so you can get a gift card to come back next time. And I mentioned to her, so let me ask you, the next time you and your family go down to Destin, because that's someplace they go at least once, maybe twice a year, you're going to go back to uh, the old Rum Runners? And she said, nope, that's our last time there. So they've lost this customer that they'd have. And, you know, uh, call the manager, Barry. I mean, how how hard is that? No, and it, but again, as as I said earlier, it protects the server as well. Unless the server has made a grievous error uh, that is, you know, potentially would get them in some sort of trouble or written up or terminated. Why, you know, if the kitchen is fucked up with the food, that's not on the server. That's, that's why you get a manager involved. And at the end of the day, in most cases, the manager does want to hear about this because, you know, a lot of men look, Jeff, when I was managing restaurants, my 
my compensation was tied into the financial success of the restaurant. Meaning if I went to work every day and didn't give a shit, I wouldn't make as much money just like a server. But if my restaurant does well, and there were several checkpoints we had to hit, I would get a bonus. So, you know, a a lot of restaurants are structured that way. So the manager probably wants to hear it because he's financially vested into it. So incomplete agreement. And when you told me this story, I think my response was, Hard to believe a server in an Alabama, and I know it's Florida, but it's Alabama. Say what you want, that it, you know, that in an Alabama tourist town doesn't give a shit, you know, because they don't. <laughs> they yeah. Clearly, so. yeah. Clearly so anyway, so in connection with that story, Barry, it leads me to my next story. You said you had the uh, the burger in Allentown that you were very pleased with. I did, Hello. Jeff. Yeah, okay. Can you hear me? I lost you there for a second. So, I'm back. Yeah, I'm here. yeah, okay. Good to see you all, as always. Yeah. So, anyway, it leads me into my next story. Oh, Barry, our old friend, uh, Brian Harpering, posting the story today, going in for the colonoscopy. Ooh. Oh, yes. Tons of fun, literally and figuratively, Bear. So, uh, so I mentioned that I was going to tell the story about my recent uh, colonoscopy experiences. So, uh, first of all, and, and you reminded me that I mentioned the the story about uh, coming out of sedation, screaming for Bob Seger. Uh, that's that's <laughs> the way that my wife knew that I was out. But of course, you know, I, and I don't know if I mentioned this, Barry, but after you're done with the colonoscopy, there's something that the nursing and medical staff waits for. Do you remember what that is, Bear? Uh, anal leakage. Uh, well, in a manner of speaking, uh, uh, air leaking out of the, uh, anal cavity, if you will. <laughs> okay. uh, that's a nice way of putting it. They want to make sure everything's good. And the way they ensure that is they wait for you to, in fact, break wind. Yes. Yeah, so that was a very lovely experience, but, uh, you know, getting the colonoscopy, the worst part of any colonoscopy, anyone will tell you is the prep work for it. Bear that fair to say. Yes, because you're you're shoveling this water mixed with this uh, I, yeah I don't know what it is uh, that's gonna send you to the toilet approximately seventy three times in the span of an hour and a half, <laughs> uh, but you know to, to definitely give you the old clean and go and you know so uh, yeah the the Bob Seger story the breaking wind in front of uh, uh, Kim uh, and, and you know wanting to. Uh, have discretion uh, and yet also uh, be medically cleared is quite the situation, which of course leads me to question Barry. Barry is a gentleman of leisure and a gentleman of uh, a certain age. Uh, Barry, uh, tell us about your last colonoscopy experience. <laughs> well, that's a setup right there. Uh, I threw that right in your face. Uh, so, he didn't yeah. know I was going to do that, folks. No, he did not know that. So <laughs> let me let me clearly say as a disclaimer on this one, <laughs> Do not do not do what I do. This is this is I am what Jeff is doing is correct. What I have done or not done. I am anal shaming Barry. He's anal. I'm being anal shamed. This is Patreon shit. This is the on the regular episode. I think we've got the name of the episode though. It's the anal shaming anal episode. Anal shaming. Uh, Let me write so that it, down real quick. Yes. Go ahead. Jeff is a hundred percent doing things correctly. I haven't had a colonoscopy in uh, 30 years, right around 30 years. And at my age, I think I'm supposed to go on a yearly basis, maybe two years. I don't know what it is. And I, I, I'm not, and that that's really bad. Uh, because as everybody will tell you, early detection saves lives. Uh, there's a million reasons why you would want to go and do it. And I haven't, uh, and I, you're about to find out why, uh, 
So I, I had really, really serious stomach issues in the early 90s. I, this would be around 91. So I literally was about 30 years ago. And it, it apparently it had come from sushi. And I had gotten some sort of really bad bacterial infection uh, from eating sushi. And I know where the, you know, I knew the restaurant and all that shit. So, uh, so it wasn't good. And my weight at the time was probably 170 pounds. I was down to like 140 pounds. And this went on for two or three weeks. Uh, I was misdiagnosed. I went to my primary care and he said, you're losing too much weight, drink and sure. And if you know about Ensure, it's, oh, yes. yeah, it's not terrible, but it's a high caloric beverage that uh, will, will put weight on you. Well, of course, he shouldn't have told me to be drinking that because uh, it was clogging me up and I had a fever. I was like 102, 103. I was really sick. And then finally I got hospitalized. And this went on over a period of about two weeks and uh, two to three weeks. And I, I was hospitalized. And, uh, there was one day where I, uh, I went to the bathroom. It was somewhere close to 70 times. And, uh, just to tell you, you know, if you go to the bathroom, I would imagine anything over 10 times in one day, the area is going to be a little tender, go to the bathroom 70 times. And we're <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> You may want to shut this part uh, off. This, 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 this Joe Christie is getting wood right now. That's all Joe, I'm going to say. Joe Christie frantically beating it to uh, to this right now. This is the Joe Christie Christmas episode. <laughs> so this is his fucking Christmas yeah, gift. Joe's going, tell us what color it is. Tell us what color it is. <laughs> I have just extended the Joe Christie shit jokes by another five years. Uh, and uh, so there was just a point where I... I, it was painful to go. It just like this. I was just fucking miserable. You had a painful I, rectal burn. Is that what you're saying? It like next level painful okay. rectal burn. And, uh, I'm in the hospital at this point and the doctor says, we're going to have to do a colonoscopy on you, uh, because we need to see what's really going on inside of you. And there was no liquid. And as I was telling Jeff off the air, uh, they basically, they wheeled me into a room and there was a nurse and, uh, the doctor and there were, I think there were two nurses and, uh, they, they proceeded to give me the colonoscopy, but it was kind of raw in the way that it was handled <laughs> there. The, again, there was Why no are both your hands on my shoulder, doctor. But anyway, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I was, uh, I was not sedated. Uh, and you know, again, you're, you're, you're going deep into an area that's always, already extremely tender. So I, I remember <laughs> it's a little embarrassing, but I'm like screaming, like, you know, for help, like it's just, it's a fucking nightmare. And I, when it was over, I was like literally shaking. Like I literally, I had been violated and I was shaking. And you had an idea, you had an idea of what prison time is like, is that what you're saying? I think I did. And I got to tell you that scared me straight first off. Cause I said, I, I would not do good in prison based off of this. And, uh, unfortunately I, I have not gotten a colonoscopy since I did take my wife who's gotten, I think three or four and I'm always the driver and I know that I have to do it. And I, I think that this is probably I think having this conversation in some ways might be therapy for me because I, I really do have to do this. I, I, you know, it, there, there's too many stories that we, everybody knows the fucking drill on this, 
I need to do this. So I, I honestly think this has been therapeutic in a lot of ways, but that was a, uh, that was arguably on a physical level, possibly the worst experience I have ever had in any form on a physical level. And all, I will say all jokes aside, uh, cause we have been having some fun with Barry here is, you know, and I, and I told him when I went in like six months ago for mine, basically, uh, anyone that's ever had one will tell you the worst part is the prep, you know, because you literally have to drink a gallon of water, uh, over the course of, uh, like an hour and a half, you know, that like at 15 minute intervals, you're supposed to chug, uh, 16 ounces of water. I I'm very bad at math, but I know that like in an hour and a half, two hours, you've chugged down two gallons of water with this, you know, mix in it. That's going to make you go. And that's the worst part because the next day I was driven to the outpatient uh, facility and they literally say, uh, so, uh, what are your plans for this afternoon after you're done with the procedure? And I'm like, well, I think my wife and I will go out to eat and you're out. I mean, just like that, like not even if you count backwards from 10, you don't even make it to five. And the next thing I know I'm being wheeled out of the facility and there's my wife in the car. Oh, how'd it go? Where am I? And you're half in the bag for the rest of the day. And then, you know, uh, later in the afternoon, you start coming, coming out of the, your, uh, your drug-induced uh, haze, and which for some people is a positive thing. And so uh, it, you're all good to go. And you don't have, you know, it's not like, oh, crap, my ass. No, you're not doing that. You, you have no problems uh, uh, with the, uh, the treatment of the, uh, the raw uh, rummaging around like poor Barry experience. <laughs> you know, it's not like that at all. It, it's, you know, the negative is the day before when you're sucking down the water and, and the mix and stuff like that. That's the horrible part. So let me, uh, we're going to be those guys now. Let me encourage all of you gentlemen of a certain age and ladies too, if you've gotten to that point, to certainly look into uh, getting yourself, a, uh, you know, one, because as Barry said, you the alternative, I can tell you, uh, is very bad Yeah, because colon cancer is, you know, certainly not anything to be fucked with. And it's uh, a very bad, bad way to go, I can tell you. So uh, I, uh, I will tell all of you that I will keep nagging at Barry uh, until he tells me that he's got the appointment set up because, uh, you know, we want to keep you around as long as we can, my man. I appreciate that too. And it really, look, it's, I, uh, there's no illusions here that, uh, that I'm doing something the correct way. I fully understand <laughs> that, uh, that I should, I think it's like at 50, right? Aren't you supposed to go once a year at 50? And I uh, think, uh, I had my first one. I want to say, yeah, I was like 49 or 50 years old. And you know, and when I had mine six months ago, the guy told me you're good to go. You can come back again in like seven, eight years. So well, you know. Jeff, if I'm correct, we have a Patreon episode that's going to be dropping in the not too distant future. Yes. How about this? If we get enough people to, to tune in and listen to that episode, I will go and get a colonoscopy and partially document it for the show. Not Barry not the- has laid down the gauntlet, folks. I have. I have. There you go. If you uh, will spend your hard-earned filthy lucre on our Patreon episode, Barry will go and shit himself. There. What more <laughs> could you ask for? I think you'll agree. So. Barry, I think you have a little something to throw at me. Is that correct? Oh, yes, Jeff. Jeff, it is time. So we don't call it FMK. What do we call it now? What's what's the political correct Uh, term? Actually, it's FMK, but it's FM kick to the road. 
FM kick to the kick to the curb or some right. Yeah. That's right. So, all right. So this is our our FMK, but uh, we have a good one this week. And uh, so I, you know, I have watched every episode of the uh, the ter- the television show Two and a Half Men at least two to three times. And I think it is. It's probably in my top five sitcoms of all time. And one of the things they focused on were a lot of beautiful women. In in most cases. These were hot women who were dating uh, the Charlie Sheen character who was named Charlie. Go figure. Uh, But some of the women were uh, relatives that were brought in, ex-wives. But there were a lot of beautiful women over the 10 or 12 years that this show was on. So coming up with three names, you know, we could probably do a FMK with two and a half men for the next month. Uh, But anyways, I came up with three. Jeff, I have texted you. Let me quickly point out who these young ladies are jenna elfman jenna elfman uh, a lot of people know her from dharma and greg is also married uh to i believe it is the nephew or cousin of danny elfman uh which is the last name that jenna elfman and i've always been a fan of jenna elfman because uh she is very tall and pretty uh, so there's nothing wrong with that. She played really. You don't like these short, ugly women. Is that what you're trying I like to say? Too, actually, Mr. Shamer. No, I do. I like them also. I like them all. I like them all at this stage, Jeff, at this stage of my life, short, <laughs> tall, heavy, thin. I don't give a shit whatever it is breathing. I'm happy. Uh, she played a character. Hey, named pulse is very pulse. important. I find pulse is huge currently. So yes, uh, she played a character named Frankie, who was somebody that was slightly crazy, apparently. And her introduction to the show was beating up her therapist's car with a baseball bat. Uh, but she was on there. So you have the photo. Uh, the next is everybody. Okay, so knows. wait a minute. So uh, sure. the first lady, I see something that says Kimberly Williams Paisley. Is well, that... that's the third one. That's the, Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I got it the yeah. wrong order. Okay. Yeah, so the yeah. first so, one, the, like the redhead, is Jenna Elfman. Yes. Yes. Okay, so gotcha. on that okay. sense, you brought up that name, Kimberly Williams Paisley, married to Br- the singer Brad Paisley. I don't know. I thought Pete Sampras, maybe they dated. Uh, she played Gretchen on the show. She uh, she a lot of people know her from the television, uh, the movie Parenthood. And she was also on uh, the TV show with Jim Belushi. Is it the world according to Jim? I think is what it was called, but she was on there. To your better knowledge on the less talented Belushi brother, but doing yeah, I think that was the the show. I think that's what it was called. But uh, she was on that show, and she played Gretchen on Two and a Half Men, who was the sister of Larry, and Larry was engaged to our next choice, who is Courtney Thorne Smith. Now I know all of our yeah Melrose Place, right? Melrose Place, Summer School, The World According to Jim. That didn't happen by accident that uh, they were both on the same show. Courtney Thorne Smith, though, always beautiful. Uh, I think she's got a 35, 40-year career at this point. That right there is impressive as all. So your F. Mary Kill, The Women of Two and a Half Men, Jenna Elfman, Courtney Thorne Smith, or Kimberly Williams Paisley, Jeff? All right. So, uh, knowing what very little I know of these ladies, I'm gonna, I'll take the F on, uh, Williams Paisley. I'll take the Mary on, uh, Courtney Thorne Smith, and I'm going to, uh, kick to the curb, uh, Jeanette Elfman, because 
Uh, quite frankly, although she's a very attractive woman, I've heard stories about her being a little bit out there. Yeah, I think she is. I, I've heard those stories too, which then Jeff makes. I, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> oh, no. Just the opposite. That that makes her at the top of my list for effing because yes. I've heard those stories too. Jenna Elfman appears to be about six foot tall with legs that are about five and a half of those feet. Uh, so I am, uh, I've always been really, I saw her in a movie, Jeff called Krippendorf's tribe. And I got to tell you, I was, uh, I just sat there and go, Oh my God, look at this woman. Uh, she's incredible. So I am a big Jenna Elfman fan. So the F goes to Jenna Elfman, the kick to the curb, Jeff goes to Courtney Thorne Smith. And you're saying, Oh my God, exactly. How can you do that? I like Courtney Thorne Smith. Uh, I've always found her attractive, but at the same time, there are crushes that occur. And then there are crushes that occur. And my crush on Kimberly Williams Paisley, uh, has always been there. I have always found her super effing cute. Uh, she's not drop dead gorgeous, but man, when it comes to cute, I think she's cornered the market. So in that order, Jeff, I'm effing Jenna. I am going to marry Kimberly Williams with the hope, Jeff, that I can F multiple times. And I'm going to kick to the curb Courtney Thorne Smith, but there's nothing personal about this at all. All righty. So all right. now we have rounded uh, the turn and we're heading for the old home stretch, Barry. Want to bring up a couple of things real quick. First of all, my parents, uh, the, the lovely Mayor and Lair, Mary and Larry Bowdrin, Barry, this week, the day after this show drops, folks, 70th anniversary. That's seven zero, Barry, from Mayor and Lair. What do you think? I think it's astounding, Jeff. And I think there is something in, in your genetics and your DNA that makes the Bowdrin clan do things a long time. You worked at the courthouse for how many years? 33 and a half. Holy shit. That's all I got. 33 <laughs> years, 33 and a half years at one job. Your parents married, for better or worse, for 70, 70 years. Let that sink in, listeners. That is pretty incredible. We do wish you a special a breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Happy anniversary. I am raising a beverage right now, Jeff, in honor of your parents. Thank you. I will join you in raising the beverage. Uh, also, speaking of raising a beverage, uh, Barry, uh, we noticed uh, that uh, today, as we record uh, the three-year anniversary of the deaths of a couple of real wrestling legends, a man you knew very well, uh, number one, Paul Jones, and of course, the living legend uh, at the time, you know, uh, Bruno San Martino. And when I first started watching wrestling uh, and was getting the magazines at the newsstand, uh, geez, how many times did the after magazines or uh, the uh, the wrestling worlds and wrestling reviews have Bruno San Martino on the cover bear. I would say uh, out of out of uh, five issues, four of those had Bruno on the cover. Yeah. Uh, he was, you know, to to us that lived not in the Northeast. It, it sometimes it's hard for us to understand the appeal of Bruno San Martino when we see him. If you lived in the Northeast, there was like, you know, it went like God and then Bruno San Martino. And in some cases, I'm sure it flipped. Uh, Bruno is to this day still talked about. Uh, I was in Pittsburgh, I believe it was August of last year, September of last year. And uh, I there was a sign in Oakland. Oakland is where Pitt is. And it lists the three most famous residents of uh, of the area, 
And the top name on that list is Bruno San Martino. He is just revered by wrestling fans, by people that lived in Pittsburgh. And quite frankly, you go back and you look at Bruno's run uh, from 63 until, you know, until the whenever he finally wound down in the 70s. And I know he was still wrestling in the 80s as well. But, uh, you know, he had a run really unlike not a lot of guys, especially in the Northeast. So Bruno San Martino, I'll always respect him. I only met him once, Jeff, and that was at the Fan Fest. Uh, I don't Wrestle know Reunion. Wrestle Reunion. You were there. This is in Tampa, 2006. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when Bruno walked in, now you're in you're in Tampa. You're in the hub of of CWF of the NWA. Dusty Rhodes was there. Harley Race was there. Uh, there were some real professional wrestling legends from that area that had worked those buildings hundreds, if not thousands, of times. But when Bruno walked into that building, Jeff. That was unlike anything I had ever seen because he got a uh, more people. You know, this is when he walked in. More people gravitated to Bruno, and I got to tell you, the way Bruno reacted to these people, he had a smile that literally went ear to ear. Like I'm not kidding. This was a gigantic smile as he was meeting people, and this wasn't even for the signing. He just walked in, and people automatically, it's fucking Bruno. I don't think we'll ever see anything ever like that again in professional wrestling. You know, one of the things that I really respect about Bruno and his legacy is Bruno never had a post career that moment that, Oh, let's just say that certain guys that uh, during the eighties may have been the top two stars in the business that sort of stumble, if you will, I'm going to very politely call that, that, that Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair have had post careers, you know, yes. uh, those moments that were, I don't even want to say, I'm, I'm trying to think of a word other than embarrassing where they kind of, you kind of sit there and you just went, Oh God, you know, whether it was something they did, something they said, uh, you know, Bruno never had that Bruno kept his legacy clean. And, uh, when we lost him, uh, we didn't say, Oh, Bruno was so great. Well, but there was that one thing that happened five years ago that, you know, really embarrassed him. No, we didn't have that. Uh, Bruno kept his legacy strong and respected to the very end. And so, you know, we raised an adult beverage, his memory. And Barry, I, I don't want to poo-poo the fact that although a lot of people we hear the name Paul Jones and they remember him coming out, uh, you know, managing the, the mid-card guys for Crockett uh, and we really want to emphasize the people that don't know, especially with my man, Barry Rose here, uh, who talked to Paul about his career in length, Paul Jones in Florida and in the mid Atlantic during his run was a huge deal. Uh, you know, don't, don't sit there and say, Oh, that was the goof that used to, uh, walk around uh, and feud with Jimmy Valiant. No, he was way, way more than that bear. Yeah. And it would be, it would be like judging Ric Flair, on his retirement match with Shawn Michaels, you know, you, which you, you really can't do Paul Jones, uh, in the 1970s was it. And, uh, I, I had this, I had a conversation about Paul Jones with somebody recently. And I said, the limitations with Paul Jones were really two things. One was he was not politically correct in any form. He was a guy that if he had an issue, he spoke his mind. He didn't really play the, the political games. And I think it held him back. The other was he was short. Paul was maybe 
five, eight, five, nine. And uh, I, I think that held him back a little bit. But when I say held him back, realize this was still a main event guy in two of the best territories in, in professional wrestling, which would be Mid-Atlantic and Florida. So held back, meaning I think Paul Jones had everything it took to be a world's heavyweight champion in the 1970s. Height maybe only being the reason that was never considered, but an amazing talent, uh, a really, really interesting human being. And I was really, you know, I was choked up when, when, when he passed away, uh, Paul and I had, uh, and I've spoken about it. We had worked on his book. Uh, we got, you know, distracted in several ways and, uh, we just never, never had a chance to really reconnect. And, uh, I, I always will regret that. So rest in peace, Paul. So before we go, Barry, there's a couple things that I want to bring up. Uh, for the very first time, I'm going to talk about uh, something that some may feel it's political. Unfortunately, it's an issue that's been politicized. But I want to deal with just one aspect of that. Uh, as you know, Barry, and some of the listeners may know, my son Andy uh, works as a pharmacy technician. Uh, he works for uh, the Kroger grocery store chain uh, in their pharmacy department. And I was speaking to Andy. I'm very fortunate I've received both my COVID shots because uh, – First of all, my son works for for a pharmacy, and also because uh, as a, a cancer survivor, I was considered quote uh, at risk unquote. And you've told me, Barry, uh, before we started recording, that you're getting ready to have your first shot this week. But here's the deal, folks. I'm not going to tell you go get a COVID shot, don't get a COVID shot, because I know there are people that are oh, it's a vast conspiracy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I got it because of my health. My wife got it because she works for a for a healthcare system. Uh, and was basically put in a position where they told her, you got to get the healthcare shot. Uh, so now all that being said, so my son tells me that one of the things that's very frustrating to him as a pharmacy technician, it's very frustrating to their department. And I'm sure this is not the only place where this is happening is Barry. Let, let me just ask you, where are you getting your COVID shot at? I, <laughs> I'm getting mine at Sam's club. Okay. So, that's, yeah. that's fine. So people have different places they go, whether they go to a Kroger pharmacy, a Publix pharmacy, CVS, Walgreens, whether they go to a hospital or whether they go to one of these uh, places where you uh, there's a, a, a an event where you sit in your car. And as your car, you know, I know my sister-in-law, Kelly Morrison, had to do that recently with her daughter. They got the shot and you wait in line in your car. They come, boom, they give you the shot. And you move on and you come back in three or four weeks and you get the second one. But here's the problem with what I want to address. My son tells me, you know, uh, did you try Barry? I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Okay. Was the only place you ever tried to get an appointment at the Sam's club or did you try other places too? It was the only place. Okay. So there are people though that will try, okay. You, you try to get an appointment. Let's just say for the sake of argument at CVS and CVS goes, okay, we can give you an appointment, uh, in three weeks. Okay. And you're one of these people that's like, boy, I, I got I'm getting worried about this. I need to get a COVID shot. So you try to reach out to Walgreens and Walgreens goes, okay, we can give you an appointment in, uh, in three weeks. You make the appointment there. Let's see what happens. And then all of a sudden Publix, you go in there one day and Publix is like, oh, uh, we had someone that canceled out. Uh, if you'd like to get a COVID shot, we can give it to you today. Well, of course, because you're worried about this situation, you're going to say, well, hell yeah, I'll get my COVID shot now. Okay. So you get your COVID shot at Publix. Then Barry, let me ask you if that, in that scenario, if that happened to you, what do you do about the appointments that you've previously made? Well, I mean, what the right thing obviously is to call and cancel. Thank uh, you. That's yeah. the point of what I'm trying to say, because okay. what happens, my son has told me and what makes them crazy is 
people that get their shots sure. elsewhere don't call and cancel. So let me tell you folks, what happens is the vaccine has to be given to you at quote unquote room temperature. And once it's out at room temperature, if you don't show up, the vaccine is thrown away. Okay. And so here they've, they've set this time. It's at two o'clock. Barry Rose is coming in for an appointment. Well, if Barry Rose walks into Publix tomorrow and, hey, Barry, come on over and get the vaccine, and Barry doesn't call Sam's Club, just using the analogy that you uh, gave me, then the vaccine that's available for you uh, at the end of the week at Sam's Club has to be thrown away. Folks, if you get your shot and you have an appointment somewhere else, cancel the appointment so they don't have to throw away the friggin' vaccine. Is that too much to ask, Barry? No, that's and that that is uh, that that's, you know, especially right when you consider I didn't know that either about the room temperature and and that that is that is something else. Let me uh, let me plug open table because there's something similar right here. So one of the common questions with open table, if I'm talking to a restaurant is somebody will say to me invariably, well, you know, it cancellations and no shows really hurt my business a lot. What what prevents somebody from making a reservation at my restaurant, let's say at seven o'clock, and then making it at two other restaurants at seven o'clock? And I said, well, in the open table system, you can only make one reservation every two and a half hours in either direction. Meaning if I'm making a seven o'clock, I can make a 430 somewhere or I can make a 930, but I can't make a seven o'clock anywhere else. It would be nice if there was something in place here where all the businesses that are offering these shots could collectively have some sort of database website where they could they could schedule this that meaning that somebody else couldn't schedule in three different places to whatever actually works well, out for them well i i mean i i understand that people in different areas different parts of the country where it's you know there's a higher concentration they want to get their shots no matter what and I get that ideally what would happen is if Barry Rose went out uh, tomorrow to Publix and got his shot, there'd be some sort of database where the people at Sam's Club, the day that you're due for your shot, would say, type in the name Barry Rose. Oh, Barry got his shot three or four days ago at Publix. So we don't need to waste the vaccine that we have in the refrigerator yes. by taking it out. That's the, that's what we need to see. And that's, you know, would save the the destruction of the vaccine that possibly somebody else could use, you know, because then if somebody showed showed up at uh, Sam's Club at your appointment, it's like, I I'm dying to get a vaccine. Do you have anything, any cancellations? Well, yeah, this guy, Barry Rose, uh, we've heard of him. He's a fucking idiot. <clears throat> Sorry, Barry. And, you know, but but he uh, he's not showing up today because he already had his first shot. Then that person could get the shot and they wouldn't have to, you know, do all the Michigas with, with scheduling the appointments four weeks out and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, I, that's all I got to say about it, folks, just because my son works at Pharmacy Tech and he mentioned that to me at dinner last night, uh, which, by the way, Barry, he paid for. Ooh, wow. So, Where'd you go, yeah. Where'd you go to dinner? Uh, well, actually, for the very first time, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin and I, the sainted Mrs. Bowdrin and I, went to Carabas. And as we were thinking about it, we thought this was the first time we've been to Carabas since we came up to Georgia. And the reason is, is because, uh, first of all, COVID, obviously, they were only doing takeout for a while. But when I had the cancer, because I had all the uh, food issues and texture issues that are associated with getting chemo, I couldn't eat it. Uh, I would try. I love the spicy chicken soup at Carabas. Mm -hmm. I tried a couple times to eat it, and I ended up throwing it up. Because uh, not because it was bad. I love the I love the soup, 
It's the whole texture issue. So I had a real texture issue for a long time with chicken for whatever reason, you know, like pulled chicken or, or tick, uh, chicken that's torn apart. Oh, I, I just, it would, it would literally make me gag. It was horrible. And thankfully uh, I had the chicken soup last night, so that's not a problem anymore. So good. Yes. One last thing, Barry, that I want to bring up. Uh, and this is uh, a couple of uh, sad items that I want to bring up. Oh. Uh, so a uh, friend of our show uh, and Facebook uh, member, uh, Ryan Wade, uh, unfortunately posted that his cousin had uh, had tragically uh, tragically uh, committed suicide the other day. And uh, I just want to talk about this for a little. First of all, we're very sad for Ryan's loss. Uh, we're very uh, we're thankful that that he posted in our group to remind uh, not only you and I, but all the members in the Facebook group that uh, people out there, you know, everybody's got something going on bear, you know, and uh, the reason I bring this up, not just because of Ryan's mention, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just tell a story that I've told Barry and Lou off air. Uh, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but uh, I actually have a, a friend of mine uh, on Facebook that's not in our group. And uh, this person posted on their page the other day, uh, something to the effect of remind me that I'm a good person. And she had had a note that she took a picture of it. In the note, uh, they said, uh, "You know, I'm a good person. Uh, I'm amazing. Uh, I'm worth it." Kind of thing. And so I immediately said, eh, "Something's going on," you know. And uh, this person is uh, a relative of one of my best friends in high school. And so I reached out to this person and I said, "What's going on?" And within the first two minutes of the conversation, Barry, I heard. Uh, I'm sitting here and I have a bottle of sleeping pills right next to me and I'm wondering why I should even go on. What should I do? And I sat with the person for an hour and talked to them. I told them that you're absolutely worth it. You know, don't quit on this because you never know what's around the corner. I, I told stories about myself to her, uh, reminding her of failures I'd had uh, as a person, uh, as a husband in the past. Uh, you know, and that I said, you know, I feel like in some ways that I failed as a husband to my second wife for reasons that I won't get into here. But if those hadn't happened, I would not have met my wife, Kim. Uh, you know, so for every every the way I like to tell my kids, everybody stumbles. You know, every, everybody has that moment where they're like, oh, God, I, I really made a bad mistake here. The problem is not stumbling. The problem is stumbling and not getting up and putting one foot in front of yourself and keeping going forward. So if you're somebody that's going through this and you're having a bad day, reach out to somebody, reach out to somebody and let them know that you're having problems, that you're struggling and you just need someone to listen. Cause sometimes Barry, that's all it takes is just having someone there that will let you vent, let you say, I'm having a bad day. I need someone to help me get through this. Yeah, and I, I like Ryan Wade a lot. He is a uh, he's a great human being, and uh, it's obvious that he's in a lot of pain. And he, I think he mentioned too that he had had uh, some friends that have gone the same route uh, over the last year or so. So he's uh, he's dealing with uh, you know that it's got to be extremely painful. And and I agree with you. Reach out to people. We have had people in our Facebook group uh, come out and say that they're struggling. And, you know, there's there's such at this stage, there is there's nothing wrong with it. You know, everyone struggles and whether people show it or they don't, everybody struggles in some form. Everybody's got a friend. Reach out to your friend. If you don't have a friend, reach out to us. These are again, these are the three best friends you never knew you had. Uh, You need to talk just whatever it is. You know, it's we'll be there for you. 
but your friends will be there for you. And I know that there's this pride thing for some people, whatever it is, don't go down this route. Reach out to people who care and love you, please. So just to finish up this little part here, what I found extremely interesting and extremely gratifying was uh, I was the first person that saw this. She posted it and I saw it like literally two or three minutes after she posted it. And I, uh, I reached out to me and like I said, we spoke for close to an hour. And when I got off the phone, I went back to the page uh, where it had been posted and the list of people saying you're worth it and I love you and yes. I care for you. It was really gratifying. It really touched me that this person had friends that were reaching out to her and, and telling her, you know, Hey, if you need to talk, I'm here for you. And that's always very gratifying. So as we close out uh, this episode of breaking cave, people, Bowdrin and Barry, I'll remind you the breaking cave, people, Bowdrin and Barry a production of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. Uh, well, for my co-host, Barry Rose, and our producer, the sweet man, who, by the way, this week, uh, doing stellar, stellar above and beyond work because he's having to do a lot of cut and paste on this particular episode, and we always appreciate Lou and his efforts. Uh, I did want to say one last little thing. Uh, as many of you that know know me uh, on a personal level know, I am a huge, huge mark for Notre Dame, uh, and especially Notre Dame football. I have followed Notre Dame football. Jeez, uh, Barry, it's going on. 45 plus years now that I've been a fan. And one of the things that made me an even bigger fan of Notre Dame football uh, was a newspaper that was put out starting in the early 1980s called Blue and Gold Illustrated. And uh, here on the day we're recording this, I picked up my phone and I looked and I saw very sadly that one of the editors of Blue and Gold Illustrated, um, at this point, he might have been the the editor of Blue and Gold Illustrated, was a guy named Lusamoji. And uh, Lusamoji was a guy, as I was speaking to Lou and Barry before, that he was a savant about Notre Dame football and Notre Dame sports and really college football, too. Uh, the way that Barry, I jokingly say, is uh, about CWF. And, uh, you know, I know we have other people that we know that are that way about CWF. Hey, we got people that are that way about the WWE. Uh, you know, we have people that are that way about different territories. Uh, you know, Mark James is about Memphis wrestling. You know, uh, there's uh, John Hitchcock and Bruce Mitchell uh, in Mid-Atlantic, along with the guys that do Mid-Atlantic Gateway. That's the way that loose emoji was about Notre Dame football. I jokingly told Barry that you, know, you could call up loose emoji and say, Lou, do you remember who the backup nose tackle was? For the 1984 Notre Dame football team, he would know who it was. He would know where he went to high school. He would know what had happened to the guy after his football career. He just knew everything about Notre Dame football, and especially from a historical context. And unfortunately, I read the news today that uh, Lusamoji had gone out to play a game of tennis with some friends and dropped out of a heart attack. And it's just a horrible, horrible loss for people that are fans of Notre Dame football uh, Barry and I were noting that the guy is right between Barry and mine's age. And so that's, that's something that certainly is an eye opener. Uh, and especially in this episode where we've talked about different health issues, folks, take care of yourself, you know, and, uh, we, we don't want anyone, uh, having to hear this kind of news about somebody in our group. And so, uh, I hope Barry will join me in raising an adult beverage to the memory of Lusamoji, uh, his, uh, historian of, all things Notre Dame sports related. And on that note, folks, we will talk to you next week.